a Frito-Lay worker who thought he'd never have the chance to do anything in his life other than be held down to one certain job as the mastermind behind one of your favorite snacks, possibly? And another man, stricken with amnesia, is mistaken for his brother as he takes over his life, as we're talking about Flamin' Hot and Suture here on Overdue Rentals. Flaming Hot Cheetos, hot enough to melt a man's face? Let's find out. That's right. Welcome back to Overdue Rentals, everybody. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blend's Mike Reyes. And, and oh. Yeah. As you may what have a- guessed, what, what is it? we're talking about Flaming Hot Cheetos. Well, we're talking about Flaming Hot. Because today, we are absolutely delighted and pleased. We have the one and only Dennis Haysbert here with us as a guest. Talk about his role in Flamin' Hot, as well as his role in the 1993 feature, Suture. I am so fucking happy that we got Dennis Haysbert because I got to talk to him. I know this is your first time talking to him, yes. but I got to talk to him before when I did the press junket for No Exit. And the man's, as you're going to hear, ladies and gentlemen, and and all, as you're going to hear, dear listeners, the man is a great conversation and just yeah. a fantastic partner to be talking with about anything. And there is a subject in particular that does perk up his ears because I've mentioned it before and I had to throw it in this time because of the fact that we had him on here. There's so There are quite a few movies we could get Dennis Haysbert back on here for. Well, it's what I find funny too is, is that Dennis Haysbert's one of those people, like people who may not have seen his picture ahead of this or may not know him by his his, his real name, like everybody knows Dennis Haysbert, but they don't know where they seen him from first. So it's like, cause like, again, I grew up. So yeah, no matter what, he's Pedro Serrano to me from major league, you know, and other people, he's going to be the president from 24 president and other people, Homer, fuck yeah. other people, he's honestly going to be the all state guy, you know? Yeah. Well, but he's been in so many different things and so much amazing stuff. And one last, I was going to wait for your spiel to end because it's one last thing I'm going to mention before we, we get into the yeah. interview. It's no, no, just, go right ahead. The fact that he played the president on 24 and then a couple years earlier, what is who does he play? An evil Secret Service agent in Clint Eastwood's absolute power. Because I remember, or I think he was evil, but just the way he, he was presented in the trailer was evil because they're like, they, they're asking him some sort of question and he's like, well, you do. And he's like, then I'll kill him. And it's like that Dennis Haysbert <laughs> oakenness where it's like, ah, shit. I believe that Armageddon is upon us. Yeah, I mean, as Mike and I discussed actually after we spoke with him, the man does not age. No, not a, the biggest difference was he had a mustache and it was a very <laughs> nice mustache. Like it, not everybody can do a mustache. My wife always tells me to never do that, either a beard or nothing at all. But Dennis Haysbert with a mustache was like, well, well, well played. And you may not see that mustache, but you will hear all of the authority of it and Dennis Haysbert himself as we welcome him to the Overdue Rentals rental counter to talk about both Flame and Hot and Suture. And, oh, I can't wait to talk about Suture. But, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dennis Haysbert. Mr. Haysbert, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Nice job. It's a pleasure to speak with you. This is this is a true honor. Bless you. Thank you. So, just to kick things off real quick, you know, Flame and Hot is now while it's based on a true person's life and somebody who wrote a book about it, it's na- it's still kind of coming into this pantheon of what they're calling like the brand biopic. And while these are kind of 
new in a way for audiences. You were filming this and, and getting involved with it before these things hit the market. Was it something that you kind of had to come to grasp to where like, are people really interested in this kind of avenue of telling these types of stories? Uh, I think they are. I think if it's done with authenticity and, um, you know, with heart and love, yeah, I think a, a lot of people would be interested in this. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things when you first look at it, sometimes you're like, I, you, you know when you're attached to something that you interesting, you know people find interesting, but maybe it takes them a little bit, a few minutes to kind of grasp onto, like, the, oh, this is the kind of story I didn't think I'd ever hear. Well, um, I didn't know about the story when I uh, got involved with the, uh, the movie. And, uh, and as I was working on it, and as I was uh, speaking and uh, getting to know more about it with Eva, and everything else, I realized that, hey, man, if you, if you buy into it, if you understand the story and you wanna convey this to other people, you know, it really enhances your performance, you know, to, you know, to talk about it. And, uh, and once you accept what the story's about, you know, everybody else will. You know, you I can't do it you know, if you're just phoning it in. Exactly. I think one of the best examples of what Matthew's uh, putting out here is Tetris. Like, I never would have thought a movie about the making of Tetris was going to be as compelling. And then even, even when I heard about Flaming Hot, it's like, well, I love the Cheeto, but I don't know what I'm going to feel about the major motion picture. But again, it is just, it's interesting to see how that concept became so heartwarming in execution. Well, the reason, the reason that is, is because the movie was, I and mean, this is what I, I, I proposed to them. I said, I mean, this should be the tagline, mm. you know, flaming hot Cheetos. It's not about Cheetos. And it's not. It's about family. It's about love. It's about togetherness. It's about uh, uh, two groups of people coming together that are normally uh, separate, separated. You know, a Latino and, you know, especially for me, a Latino and African and American culture coming together. You know, nobody would have ever expected, you know, uh, uh, Clarence to be the mentor of Richard Montanez and, and you know, and helping him boost and, and bring up this uh, Flaming Hot Cheeto uh, concept in Frito-Lay. I mean, uh, you know, as the character, I'm looking at this guy coming in, trying to ingratiate himself on me. And the first thing I think of is, oh, man, he's trying to take my, my gig, <laughs> you know? Hey man, tell me how to work these machines. I said, hell no, these are my machines, you know? Until I understand that he wasn't trying to take it away. He just wanted to learn. And I said, oh, I said, okay, I get it now, you know? But you know, you have to overcome, if you will, that, uh, that, that, that culture of divide and conquer. Well, that's also where it comes to so important in casting somebody like Jesse in the role where you know, that energy and that kind of true nature and that feeling, you can see how he could change somebody like Clarence's mind. Right, or, it, well, he changes his mind by just basically saying, man, we're really together, you know? Yeah, by being him, by being himself, that, that, that energy, yeah. that, that, that personality. Absolutely, absolutely. And he has that, uh, and he has that as Jesse, you know, and that's why we're friends to this day. <laughs> You know, he's an incredible guy. 
Now, obviously, this is uh, Ava Longoria's directorial debut, which that oh. was just another reason why I was sort of excited to, well, not sort of, I was excited to see this film come through is because, okay, not only is it this crazy story, it's also, you know, Ava's had such experiences as being a producer on projects, but now to direct something, that's, that's a whole other animal. Uh, could you tell us a little more about sort of being on the ground to watch her sink into that role? Yeah, I love that, um, that she was the director of this because I think actors, uh, I think more actors should direct because we do know, you know, I've directed once and um, I really want to do it again because uh, you, you feel it as well as, you know, technically, you know, putting it out there and putting the camera in the right place and everything else. But when it comes right down to it, it's about the relationship between the characters and the, uh, and the director. And when you have a director that understands your emotional um, complexity, you know, and, and, and really gets into the fact that you, you know, that you're trying to emote this, this, this uh, you know, this character and trying to get this, you know, oh God, I'm getting lost for words, I don't <laughs> know why. But uh, it's just exciting to have someone that understands you and understands okay. what you want what you want to uh, uh, what you what you want to project, and uh, and gives you that space to discover, and uh, and you know and and do the work. She was very she was wonderful in that way. That's part of why I love you know Martin Scorsese does that all the time where he'll have like I remember back to Wolf of Wall Street he had Rob Reiner and John Favreau in there both directors that know how to act. Right. Yeah, and it's probably, I don't know if uh, Favreau was directing at that time, but uh, it, it, I can understand why he uh, he became a director after that. You know, can you imagine that kind of collaboration with Scorsese? <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, in talking about, again, then your desire to do it again yourself, is it something that you are actively planning? You hope that it happens? It's something that you would also want to be the writer behind, whether or not that means it has to be a little longer, unfortunately, because of the writer's strike. Uh, mm -hmm. Or it's just whatever comes your way, comes your way, and that's how it kind of maps out. Well, I, I do have a project that was written for me um, that I'm thinking seriously about directing because uh, it's, it's a subject matter that I don't think a lot of people know about. And the fact that I've been living with the script for a few years now, mm. that I, I know what it would be like to perform it. And I think I know, uh, you know, the best way to direct it. And uh, it's kind of a sci-fi, sci-fact kind of uh, movie. I'll tell you about that later. Um, but, <laughs> only, but, as, only as much as we can get, you know? <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, well, we're, we're talking about playing it hot, man. I can, I can talk, you know, for <laughs> hours about this other, uh, uh, this other story. Um, but yeah, I, the one thing that I enjoyed about directing um, before is, and I was also in it, uh, you know, I directed an episode of The Unit. And, um, and I was not written light for it. So I had, you know, serious double duty. Mm. And, uh, but the times when I wasn't on camera that I was just in the director's chair, oh man, I just loved it. Mm. And I just loved watching the actors discover and, uh, and, you know, and then emote, and then to see the, the direction that I was giving them and how they would accept it and then brought their own flavor to it. I said, oh, yes, this is what this is what directing is all about. 
this is what acting is all about. And uh, it's why I love doing what I do. I mean, mm -hmm. I can't imagine being in any other kind of business. Well, like you said, though, you know, we are here talking about Flaming Hot, but, you know, here at Overdue Rentals, we do love to also talk about films that we feel either, you know, had a lot of press behind them when they came out, but people don't talk about them as much anymore, or maybe didn't get enough press when they came out. And a movie that we're obsessed with is Suture. Oh. Um, and I just, I would love to talk to you about it for a little bit because it's something where, you know, I don't know if it's true or not. And I tried before we came into this to find the article I remember reading, mm -hmm. but I thought I read an article, and I don't know if you know the answer to this either. That was where Scott and David originally didn't plan on it to have this idea of having different racial divides between the two actors. And it was meant to be, you know, one person maybe. When you came onto it, was it what you produced is what you always knew it was gonna be? It wasn't what I knew it was gonna be. That's what was presented to me. Mm. And, uh, and it worked. I was so fascinated and uh, in love with this film and, and the process and the work process of it. The fact that the audience got to see these characters as one, you know, as twins. Yeah. You know, and to actually be in the theater and watching from the back and watching the undulations and what the people that were watching the film were going through as they were seeing this. Oh man, it was amazing. It was amazing. I, I knew to a man and woman on this, uh, on this particular shoot, Everybody was all in, you know, and uh, I, I, I really applaud these guys. I, they should do more films. Yeah, well, I, I know they have one coming out soon, but I, I don't want to know what it's about until it comes out. So I have to I'm keep my my eyes there blind for now. <laughs> no, I love those guys, and I, I for having chosen me, for, you know, to do Suture. It's still one of my favorite films that nobody. Yeah. Saw. <laughs> well, we're we're gonna make sure everybody sees it. There you go. Suture is currently available on Tubi, which is owned by Fox, which is in the family of Disney that also has Flamin' Hot on Hulu. I just stuck the branding landing. Thank I you. love that. Thanks for putting that together. <laughs> <laughs> Again, just what's what's so brilliant about Suture is, you know, this film was released in 1993. This was on that, indie, like the, the indie boom everyone talks about, like the indie boom of the mid-90s where you go maybe a couple months or a year later, Pulp Fiction really kicks it off. But this right. is one of those projects that is so simpatico with that sensibility and that sort of the guts and the hunger that are involved in making this movie are just like the, the films that we call classics now. And that's what makes me even more mad that more people aren't talking about this. Right, right. I agree. I couldn't agree more. This is a... Uh... <sighs> No, that I just you know just love that film. Anamorphic, black and white. Oh, you know, it's so it, gorgeous. There are so many shots in it that when you you don't understand why people don't put it up against what they claim like the most brilliant shots in cinema history. Even that opening, you know, just the you know the the very famous shot of you in the bathtub yes. to, to kick it off. So brilliant. Yeah, and the and the way you know the, and I got away with it. <laughs> You know, and that's sort of one of the very few films that I've ever done where, you know, I got the girl. It, it's it's funny, too, though, because I met just I was rewatching it before we, we came here to speak. And I was like, 
in my mind, I remember watching it when it came out and not being confused by it, but definitely being a little more kind of swept up in the whole like, well, what am I supposed to really believe idea of it? But and it's a lot more straightforward when you may think when you when you watch it again. But I found it strange that like because maybe it's because I'm seeing you and I know the character is originally listed as Clay, that when you're Vincent, I'm still saying Clay. And I'm wondering if there were times even for you or maybe producing where you're just like, I'm, 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 but, I'm, but I'm Vincent right now, so I got to be Vincent. Or somewhere deep down, I know I'm Clay, so I'm, I'm kind of trying to portray a little bit of, of that beneath the surface. Right. Well, you know, as uh, if you look back at it, I have amnesia. So, yeah. so when they're telling me, they're giving me all this information about Vincent. You know, and uh, it, then it gets confusing after a while because when I do realize I'm Clay, then I also realize that this guy just, you know, my twin just tried to kill me. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, no, I'm, I'm taking your life. You tried to take mine. I'm going to literally take yours. You know, I'm, you know, not by, you know, killing you, but I'm going to absorb and live your life. And uh, yeah. then it becomes mine. And in such, it's such a way too, where it's like that idea of like when you're first waking up and, and learning about Vincent uh, or, you know, who you are technically, you, mm. you still have this weird hope because like he is gentler, he is nicer and, you know, than the real Vincent. But by the end of it and all those videos and the little photos you flash, you feel like he's taken on the actual Vincent uh, with, you know, a little more of a, not necessarily mean spirit behind him, but a conceited spirit behind him. Well, a little bit more itch. Yeah, you know, definitely. Because it, because it, and it, like I call that survivor's itch. You know, it's not really, you know, because anything that changes you that completely, then they've won. Hmm. You know, you still have to keep some of yourself. You know, and if you see that people are responding to you as a softer, gentler Vincent, then you say, then you won them over, because that's all they that's all they're seeing is that oh he's had a change of heart, you know he's saying, you know oh he, he understands he's he's becoming more humane, and uh, you know that's what I wanted to portray. And at the same time, there's just that slow twist of the knife, where like especially after the lineup, there's that scene where Clay slash Vincent is like I. I want to believe that I didn't do this. Like everyone's telling him, you didn't do this. He's like, but I want to believe that I didn't do this. Right. And it's just that beautiful identity crisis where again, in the end, he, he chooses a different way. He chooses that different life because at that point he's just been so conditioned to it. And just leaving off on that, that voiceover with the psychiatrist is so I don't, I don't even know what word to use it. It's just so st striking. That's where we go. So it's just so striking where it doesn't hit you over the head with it, but this is definitely like so dour and depressing. But yet you see those wonderful smiling photos and like all the happiness that he's got in his new life. Right. Which he should have had in the beginning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, the life he, you know, it's a, a life that eluded him until his brother tried to kill him. I, I also read that, you know, apparently I, I think that uh, they decided they wanted to shoot in Phoenix, Arizona, because to them it felt like a ghost town because it was so large, but it felt, did it feel like that when you're filming it too? Did it feel like, I don't know where I'm at, it's kind of empty in, in a way? Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And the fact that his house was a, a you know, a, a, a bank, 
<laughs> I do. I wasn't sure what it was. It felt like a hotel or some some sort. I wasn't sure. Oh, it was oh, a sure. building, and it used it was a defunct bank. I, I don't really remember what kind of bank it was, but it was it made an amazing house. You know, but uh, it was that I there's there's still man as as far back as I shot that I I don't know I find all these memories flooding back uh, and, uh, and and shooting this it was just it was an amazing uh, undertaking you know I wish I could do more more movies like it more that's where there. that's where the Dennis Haysbert is the director comes in there we go there we go I patches for everyone say again. I was like, eye patches for everyone. There we go. <laughs> How was it though, navigating with that eye patch though? Because again, you're you're delivering this wonderful performance at sometimes very physical, and then you have this like added layer of impediment. Yes. Um, well, I tell you something, man. That that's the 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 art of uh, of channeling and uh, and acting is you know you just. It was just a part of my character, and it actually, uh, I think, enhanced my character being able to do that. Mm. You know? And uh, so I, I, I like those things. Anytime that somebody can, you know, I don't know, give me an impediment or whatever, I just use it. Is there also then to wrap things up? Is we're going to have to let you go soon. But mm-hmm. going back and think about all of these films now together, and again, going back to that idea of your actors as directors and, 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 you know, a certain feeling that you get from, from being behind the seat when you were in front of this, when you were in front of the camera, is there something special also that comes from doing films like this, which are, you know, at this point, I don't even want to say independent because, you know, the, the lines have been blurred nowadays, but they, where they fit into a certain niche where it's like, there's a special magic there that only exists there. And that is kind of what keeps my love for this just going and going because it always seems fresh somehow. Um, just the, the independence of, of the film? Or, or Yeah, just like film films that are that are a little more you know special like this compared to like a big budget, you know, uh, you know, throw your well, money at it, blockbuster. I think, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. So sometimes too much money is a detriment to a good piece, a good film piece. And um, when you just have to realize, you know, uh, that the, that the art of the acting comes through because, you know, you, you don't always have to have, you know, a, a moving camera, just, you know, just set the camera there and let, you know, and let the work happen within that framework. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of it, you know, that you don't have to have, you don't have to have $50 million or these, on these days, you know, 160, $200 million. You know, because I think something gets lost. I can't well, hear you. I don't know what happened to Matthew, but uh, Mr. Haysbert, thank you so much for your time today. And oh, uh, thank you. Just going to put it out there. If you want to come back and talk about 13th floor, uh, we would love to have you back. Oh, session. my goodness. That's another one. <laughs> I, would yes. love, I would love to talk uh, about 13th floor. Yeah, Any I hit mute by accident. Sorry, guys. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. That's okay. But yes, 13th floor. As a matter of fact, I was reacquainted with that. My uh, my uh, my my uh, digital content team actually put a picture of that on my uh, on my Instagram today, and I just and all the memories started flooding back about that movie. 
And that was such a, a good movie, but it was so unfortunate it came out the same weekend as The Matrix. <laughs> so, yeah, 13th Floor and Dark City really got, got the shaft with The Matrix. Yes. But, uh, you know, good film. Thank you. For next time. Thank you. Dennis Haysbert, everybody. De oh, it's, you know, every time we talk to somebody and we come out of it, I'm just like, yes, here we go. And it's just another, it's another one. It's like, oh, that was, that was so, that was so nice and so, so lovely. And I um, just think it's a testament to the type of show we run here. And just, but also just the, the luck we've had with guests too. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, he's somebody like you, like we said earlier, you've spoken to him before, but you know, I haven't yet to speak. This is my first time speaking to him. And I'd always kind of really, really hope that I'd ever get, I'd get the chance to speak to him, which is why I also, because this was, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know, like this was like, I'm deci Matthew deciding we're talking about suture. I don't care. And this is not, nothing rude to any, to Mike or anybody. Oh, but no. If I anything, like, yeah, it's, it's like, I, I've been trying to talk to this man about this for so long. I'm so glad I had the chance. And I, I apologize, Mike, I cut you off there. Oh, no, because if anything, I'm glad that I was introduced to Suture because this was my first time watching it. But again, this feels like something I would have hunted down. <laughs> this was like, this was, you have to understand by time it got to, I got to middle school. That's like the 97, 98 timeframe. The indie film boom was on. Mm -hmm. And my dad had one of those black boxes where you could get pay-per-view. And what did I happen to see a preview for on pay-per-view that I then later taped, watched, and fell in love with? Uh, future overdue rental, The Spanish Prisoner. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my God, absolutely. This is another Spanish Prisoner-style movie where I would have tracked this down and taped it off a cable or watched it early in the morning before going to school and just, it would have blown my, it still blows my mind. Like this is a, a film from 1993 that underwent a 4K conversion as late as 2016, and it looks gorgeous. Well, look, you know what? Well, we'll we're, let's 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 wrap it right around. We'll come back to Sutra because I think that's a movie that we're gonna have a lot of rambling bo on both of our fair. sides to do. Fair, fair. So let, let's also let is do talk about Flame and Hot real quick because especially since as we discussed with Dennis and as we both discussed with each other, I'm sure. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember specifically, but I'm pretty sure we did. You know, look, they the social network came out in what year? 2010. 2010. It was 2010? Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was 2010. Oh, and, yeah. And while it's slightly different than the slew of these corporate biopic things we're getting now, it probably was the it was the precursor to what we're witnessing. But you know, we're in this this heyday where like now this is like this is the thing. We're like kind of getting nostalgic for brands somehow. And not just and granted, you know, a lot of them have these wacky or you know unbelievable stories behind how these things came about, and you know, it's it's something where, as we all again, whether we we all agreed or not, one hundred percent on everything, Tetris was really interesting. A BlackBerry, of course, but I think BlackBerry is taking the cake right now. I need to see BlackBerry. Oh, you haven't seen? Okay, so I won't go in too far into it, but the Flame and Hot one, I have to say. You know, after seeing it and then going back and looking at the, you know, the whatever history you can find online seems seems like there's some some discrepancies. That's all. Well, it, it, it is also it should be noted that Frito-Lay has come out and basically they they're they're saying, yeah, this movie is uh, they're saying the whole story is basically not 
on the up and up. And, you know, we can, that's, that's something that history will, will shake out, but going back to your point. Yeah. This is sort of the new wave of historical biopics that we've gotten ever since social. I mean, I still remember everyone was talking about social network. It's like, Oh, a Facebook movie. Really? (laughs) What are we doing here? And then we've seen that happen time and again, like again, Tetris, it definitely happened. I would say it didn't happen with BlackBerry for the sheer fact that because of social network, everybody was probably so positioned to go into BlackBerry. And like, even with the marketing for BlackBerry, it kind of looks social social network adjacent, but not a cl- carbon copy. It's just- I'll wait till you see, I'll wait you see BlackBerry before I, I counter argue on that. We'll counter, I, we'll, we'll talk about it later when you see it. <laughs> I'm so excited to see it. I love Jay Baruchel and I love Glenn Howardin. And it just looks, but did, did you enjoy it? You know, I did. And what I, what, you know, it's not the main point of the film. And I don't, and, and then and they're not trying to glorify people in any way whatsoever. But my, my most interesting thing for me was this idea, you know, because Glenn Harrington's character, you know, in real life too, he's this, this you know, he's, he's the shark kind of person. He's the, the guy who's going to get things done. And it, it kind of like, sh- you know, shined a light on the idea of how, you know, kind of without these people, things don't get done. <laughs> and it's not, oh. it's not, it's not trying to praise it in any way, but there was something so interesting about it that I, that I kind of like was really impressed up on that part. Well, yeah. I mean, as juxtaposed to something like flaming hot, which is definitely, it feels more inspiration. It feels like more inspirational and like a, a more of a, a, not, I'm not saying in a bad way, but more of the standard model of a biopic where, yeah, yeah. It's about flaming hot. I mean, it's about flaming hot Cheetos, but it's also the story of it's Richard the, man, Montagna's, the person yeah. behind it. Exactly. Yeah. And look, I mean, it's it, again that story that Frito Lay is also saying, you know, maybe not. Uh, you know, he he wrote a, he wrote a whole book about it, you know. So it's like it came out in book form first, then they wrote the script, and then granted, they they also did their you know Hollywoodization of the script as well, uh, from what I could tell. Um, and it's just that, like, even if you want to believe the main juxtaposition, not juxtaposition, the the main point of him, you know, just going from being one person to being another person or, or, or his influence from a very s- small statured role in the company. Um, sure. But then when you see like the interactions with like, for as much as I want to say, you know, the um, uh, uh, Tony Shalhoub's, uh, the, the Enrico is his last name. What's the, what's the, 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 the guy's full name, Roger Enrico, who, who headed up Frito-Lay at the time you know, to say that he was just as loving and, and supportive as he was, like, I just, I just doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's. Yeah. I mean, you look at all the components to this, this story, you look at the time that it's being told in. in... Yeah. I mean, Richard, 100%, if you, the Frito Lays has put out his records, you know, 100% started on the lowest rung, but it was like a year later and still in the seventies that he was a machinist and then yeah. kind of worked his way up. The man 100% went from, you know, the lowest possible point you can in this company and, and moved through it. I'm, I, you don't deny it, but it's just the way it happens. I don't know. Yeah. Well, again, that's just biopic versus reality. You, you know, <laughs> we could, we could dance around that all day, but again, you know, I loved Dennis's enthusiasm, not only for the story, but also for, Ava Longoria as a director. Mm-hmm, yeah. And that's another thing that's just really exciting is I, I like seeing 
actors that want to tell certain stories or just directors that want to tell certain stories. And then, you know, it just happens to be in this case, an, act, an actor who wants to break into directing takes this tale and turns it into the film that you will see before you on Hulu, uh, June 9th. What I, what I also, I will say, and this is, I hope this doesn't come sounding off the wrong way because, you know, for people who know me, they know that I, you know, oh, if, it's it will. Just, if it's just something very generic, and in the terms of, you know, like you've seen it so many times, it it can it can grate on me whether or not it's good or not. And I'm just talking about something specific and I'll get there. And I apologize for being roundabout about saying this, but what I did have to say I enjoyed a lot is the fact that, yes, Richard, Judy, and their family are a religious family. But, you know, his brother on his brother, his father, on the other hand, who like, you know, is, turned his life around because of the church, you know, like that's the version of the way they inject religion to a lot of these films that I'm used to. So I'm I'm happy the way that Richard and Judy's part of it came about that it wasn't this overbearing nature. And while they said, you know, we'll believe in God and what God can do for us, they did it themselves. Is the way the story did it. It wasn't it wasn't all about, oh, somebody's just gonna answer the prayers for us. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, that's the pure flex version of this movie. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Flaming oh, hot Mark, we're calling. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> we could we could very easily write that version. Yeah, but, oh, they but, uh, yeah, good. but I'm so glad we also got to talk about Suture, man. This was a movie <laughs> that you know, this is one of those things like you're know, walking through the video store and like, I see the box, my father sees the box, like, oh, this looks interesting. Didn't know anything about it, grabbed it. And because, you know, like, again, I was young when I first saw it. And so for people who who want to see it fresh, pause now, come back later after you see it. For those who have seen yes. it or don't care as much, we're going to start spoiling things now because. But I mean, we did we do, a little bit when we talked to Dennis. It already happened anyway. Yes, but, but just another gate, just another reminder, folks. Yeah. Suture is now available with ads on Tubi. And Absolutely. Tubi's ad breaks are still not only very well-timed and well-placed, but just, I was watching this, it's an hour and a half movie, and I watched a good swath of it where I was like, when There was no the ad breaks. I, I, I don't think I saw like more than one. Yeah. No, <laughs> just, again, look, uh, people want to... Uh, people want to make fun of the fact that, oh yeah, Tubi is is free streaming with ads, and you know Warner Brothers is licensing their stuff to them. Look, I hate that Warner that Max pulled Westworld, but at the same time, I love that it found a home on Tubi. Tubi really, I want I want to get one of the one of the, like the reps, the the heads of Tubi on here. Tubi, oh I, yes, please. And we're not we're not just pandering because we have no we have no connection with them. It's like it really is. We you've heard us talk about it before. It's a the ad breaks happen naturally they happen when you were used to watch things on tv back in the day and they had ad breaks these are when the ad breaks are coming in they're coming when it was supposed yes. to happen they're subtitles for the most part i mean i don't know if it's for everything but if you have something subtitled they're in and it's letterbox they're in the letterbox they're not on top of the image which is fine it's not not the end of the world but the fact that they do it that way so appreciative and they have not only do they have uh, even better selection nowadays forget about whether it's warner's licensing and stuff to them or not they've always had a, a, a good growing selection, but like if oh, you're a yeah. horror fan, especially. Oh yeah. If you are someone that likes to purchase through shout factory and scream factory, shout and scream are very good with not only Tubi, but they're great with Pluto. They're great with, uh, I'm trying to think of the other, pl they're great with several platforms that do this, this uh, free ad supported streaming. Yeah. And yeah, if you want to go and watch, like, I think they still have all of max headroom. I watched all of oh, max headroom. Through Tubi. I was unaware. I have to go back and do that now. Yeah, I had never watched the whole series. So I watched the full thing and it's like, 
well, now I'm even more mad that this didn't last longer. And my Halloween that, costume one year when I was a kid was Max Headroom. That that feels like another break the rules and do an episode on a series episode because well, Max Headroom is something that oh but oh wow yeah especially Max Headroom because yeah. you yeah the well, Coca Cola company will thank us especially Mario Brothers or something. <laughs> oh, I would I would legit love that. Well, I'll, because there is so much history around that movie, and they re- they have released an alternate cut. Like, I'll send you the link. It. I'll send you the link to the some more news episode where they do that whole thing, which is very interesting. But before that, we should get back. Let's get back to spoilers yeah. for everybody. Oh because, man, we just the wheels came off for a moment there. Again, you know, I I'm watching this as you know a 12, 13 year old, you know, and even like like we're watching it now. It's very, it's you know, it's not that convoluted in a way that it can mess with your head if you're not paying attention but as a younger man when watching it because dennis haysbert plays a guy named clay arlington and the whole idea is like way before the movie starts he found out that he has a long-lost half-brother who is also the son you know his his father and this man is the son of uh extremely rich rich um industrialist we'll call him i i can't remember specifically if they say what he did um and who and and Vincent Towers is the name of of his half brother. And the idea is that Vince, after the father has passed away, Vincent has invited uh, Clay to visit him because he wants to talk about some stuff. Because the idea is that Clay was supposed to be kept as like a a secret. Nobody's supposed to know that he existed. But yeah, for, the thing is, but you know, Clay is played by Dennis Haysbert, and those you know who Dennis Haysbert looks like, you know what he looks like. And Vincent Towers oh, is played yeah. by Michael Harris, a very pale, thin tall white man and the idea is that they are identical you could not tell them apart not even their voices they sound the same and that's where the the film grows them i won't say exactly what happens even though it, it's very it happens very early on and even kind of open up with the ending a little bit um but it was like a mind fuck to me as a, as as a as a teenager and then kind of revisiting it later on it still had it still held a lot of importance to me but um it was interesting to kind of evolve with it as I grew up. It's also just a fantastic testament to believing that reality and also just the performances. Yeah, because like, this, 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 this is pre-Nolan. So yes. <laughs> following hadn't even come out. So this is this is a very, like, memento. It's not the same type of movie. It's not the same exact movie, but there is, like, a tie you it's, can make between them. It's still a very, it, again, it's still from that late 90s, the early 90s to yep. early aughts indie boom that came from all those that came from like Miramax and Sony releasing Memento, even though I think it was like new market was the production company. I, I can't remember it was. But it was released through Sony and like, just, it was all of those young hungry filmmakers that were, were weren't afraid, but sometimes preferred to shoot in black and white. And that's another thing that you can really compare this to, to Nolan's following with is the fact that the black yeah. and white is just such a star, even Aronofsky. This, this, looks this looks better than following. This looks 10 times better than following. This is again, 2016 4k, uh, uh, re, re restoration. And this is through arrow video, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm wondering if arrow is another boutique brand that has a really good relationship with Tubi. But, but again, it, it looked, even looked good in the '90s. It looked great when it came out. It, like that's, that's it, I believe it. No, I believe it because it's just fantastic. I believe that because of how good the restoration is. Because it, you you can restore a film to 4K, and no matter what you do, you can't unless you go in and digitally touch other things up. You cannot overcome 
the limitations of that time period. And there's some parts where it's maybe a little grainier, but because because it's like surveillance footage or another mm. piece of footage, but it's never jarring. No, it is. It is. I I totally agree with what you're saying because it looks like a film that is as gorgeous now as it was then, and then even just watching it as a thematic experience, it is an hour and a half of just. It's timed just right. It moves so as a it's kid. It's amazing. Again, what you? I wasn't sure, so it felt like it was long, but it moves so smooth. I'm sorry. I sorry. I cut you off. It's okay because it's amazing what you can do with a film like this or Good Night and Good Luck or my wife and I mm. recently went and saw Sanctuary. These are movies that are around the hour and a half mark. And a lot of people like to use that as like, oh, it's the perfect length. It's it's short, but it's not long and blah, 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 blah. But these are movies that prove that with an hour and a half, you could make it feel longer well, not, but it's not in a bad way. I mean, you, you make it feel richer than just an hour and a half of your life. You're engrossed with this. There's enough detail packed into this running time that you are just throughout the whole thing from the word go connected. And this movie opens with just one of those, yeah, just the, one of those neo-noir endings where it's like, wait, we're going to have to wind back a little bit here and tell you how we got here. But and yeah, but then, it, it works so well, yeah. It does. It's not, again, this is a movie, it, it is a neo-noir. And it yeah, gets oh, how noir works. 100%. It yeah. gets how noir works. And that is so fucking hard because so many people, I, I, I love my old improv group from college to death, but they used to do fil film noir as, was one of the games. And it was just basically detective monologues and people snapping and making that noise. And it's like, I... I get it. I get this is a game, but something always bugged me in the back of my mind. It's like, this is not, this isn't always how it goes. And it, it, especially with modern movies that try to spin themselves as neo-noirs. Yeah. You know, you put Nightmare Alley in the wrong hands. That wasn't, that wouldn't have worked. But Guillermo del Toro knew, knows noir and it worked beautifully. What's funny too, is that as much as I do love this movie and as much as I'm glad that uh, you, you enjoyed it as well, I'm not, I mean, it's not a major gripe, but my one issue, well, nah, I mean, I guess I have a few issues, but my, my major issue is that after rewatching it, I wish they made the ending a little more ambiguous. I wish it was, you couldn't tell if he was actually admitting the fact that he knew he was Clay, but he was going to be Vincent. I, you know, like, I, I wish it was a little more as like, you, you, you weren't sure if he understood that what he was seeing was his past that or or that you know he he'd given up yeah all right go ahead because i see i see you i disagree because i think it leads to oh, a, okay okay a more a weightier ending because it, it, if you if clay didn't know that those flashes were his previous life and he's just going ahead with it like i i get the i, I get the somberness in that i get the the sort of upset where it's like oh this poor man he doesn't know who he is but I think it's more effective that he knows who he is. He is now going to cash in on his brother's I, status. And just in a sense, he's been corrupted. And I yeah. think that's even more effective after watching this whole movie where Dennis Haysbert is trying to figure these things out and he's still that innocent person. But then that slow corruption just gets him to the point where it's like, I deserve the sweet life. Yeah, but I'm going to keep this. That's no, and I don't disagree, but I, I I think in my head, maybe I'm just I'm envisioning it more of it would have felt to me better if it was, you know, like just like I don't know anymore. 
if this was me before or this was me now, but I know this is what I want myself to be now, you know, like, because that's just, that's just also going to the fact is that like, and I'm not trying to put this generalize it to the entire population of the world, but if you woke up tomorrow with the memories of two different people and you weren't sure which one it was, you're going to choose the one with the money and you're going to choose the one with the life and you're going to choose the one, you know, like, so like that kind of version of it is where I imagined like in my head where I would have liked it to have seemed like at least, you know? Right. So it's not so much, it, it, it's, it's the, to, to elucidate the, the differences for the audience, your version is basically, he makes that choice because of human nature and he doesn't know for sure versus what we have in the film, whereas he yeah, knows, yeah, yeah. but he still, he wants that. So it's a conscious choice versus unconscious, but the commentary on our human drive is you always go where the money is. Well, yeah, absolutely. But my only other thing also, and help me out here, because I could easily have just watched the movie again, but I've been so busy that I haven't. You watch Suture again? Why would in, you do that? At the beginning, when he first gets in the car, when Vincent picks him up, does he not say that I never, does Clay not say I never told my wife, I never told my, does he has another family, doesn't he? I'm going to have to go back now. That was the one thing that bothered me is like, now I have to go back and watch this because I don't remember that. I think he said his girlfriend. I think he said his girlfriend. He said his girlfriend? Oh, I mean, okay. I think, don't quote me on it. I, 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 oh, oh, now I want to go back and watch that again and just watch that scene. That, that's another just beautiful thing about this is that that just ties into what we're talking about here so much more because that, those little things that just add up to the big choice at the end. It's, ugh. But it's all, I also, it's again, it's also the one of these things where like, like you're saying, you're watching him trying to figure it out and you're watching him and he's, as he's like, you're, you're telling me that I may be implicated in my father's death and like, you can feel how broken and sad he feels about it. Yeah, and, and nobody, the, like, yeah. no one is ever stink-eyeing him or like really grilling him I mean, about Vincent was not a good person. All the people that ever came with him, I mean, sure his family, they, they probably maybe hide it like that, but he was never a nice person, And they, but they still treat him like he was this whole time. And then at the end, he becomes this kind of asshole, even though you don't get to see a lot of it. He is. You can see the way he talks or those mannerisms, whether it's just him talking to 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 the doctor or or just, you know, that 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 last shot of him taking the picture, and you can see how like kind of puffed up his chest is and stuff like that. He's he's become Vincent more so at that point as well, compared to this guy who was just like, Oh no, I feel so heartbroken and and how could this be? Now it's just, you know. He's almost it's motionless. Just, what's really interesting is in these sorts of movies, like they mentioned the plastic surgery angle. In another movie, the plastic surgery angle would have been where the real identity politics would have came in. But it's his conscious actions and it, it's his personality that yes, are yes. the center of suture. And I like that so much more. But that's, but I mean, like, yes, to not to also uh, not point out the fact that there are certain plot versions of it that that comes into like when they do the lineup and she's like his eyes are a little wider and his ears are a little lower it's like well he's had some reconstructive surgery and it's like but does it but it's still also the fact that they look exactly it's just like every little second there's another like wave of how it fits in and weaves in and you're just yeah. like it's just too good it's just too good I know. And again, that's like you would think the unreliable the unreliable witness would be the great ambiguity the great thing that's sort of oh I blah, 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 blah. but she knows exactly what she's seen she knows that this is not vincent and that just 
another twist that just heightens it even <laughs> further. It's like we're playing this, they're playing the same, a similar a, a similar song that we've heard before. They're yeah. playing a song that we've heard before, but the notes are arranged differently and arrangement is everything. And this is also, this is Scott McGee and David Siegel. It's their first feature length film. And, you know, they went on to make The Deep End, which is another another massive over-durental in my mind. They also made What Maisie Knew recently. Um, they have a new one coming out, too, but I don't think they wrote this one. But I guess, you know, based on what you can read on the internet, the idea was is that they they were making... Finishing it. Oh. They were finishing it, and then um, Steven Soderbergh saw a, um, a, a, a rough cut and, helped, and then kind of helped them guide them through finishing the process because he was so impressed. Which is also brilliant because you look at Soderbergh around this time. I want to say I want to do a. I was just gonna say I say this is what around when Kafka was happening. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Because to me, even though Kafka is not a perfect movie, you know, in in the pantheon of the really early indie Steven Soderbergh to whatever he is nowadays, I don't know what you want to consider him. Kafka to me is that's the best one. That's the best one. Period. Charming retiree. Who's not so retired? Oh, oh, oh! I just, I, I got you. Sorry, I got lost there for a second. Like, is that a movie he made that I wasn't aware of? <laughs> I mean, at this point, he may as well. Uh, well, because also, I don't think it's, I don't think it's ever come out. I, there's been talk about it because I don't know if you, if you knew about this. So, you know, Kafka was really hard to get for a while. And for people who don't know the the film Kafka, Steven Soderbergh made like this faux fictional. It's it's very similar to like Naked Lunch in a lot of ways. It's like based on um, the castle by Kafka, but Kafka is an actual character in it. And uh, it's, you know, starring Jeremy Irons as Kafka and it's this, you know, Kafka-esque thing, you know, it's, it's hard to explain without going too far into it, but it, it, it didn't do well, didn't do that well when it came out. But apparently it's, for the longest time, he's got a new version that he recut and he called it Mr. Neff. And he showed it at 2021 in Toronto and it was supposed to have this released to the public. And I don't think it ever got released. Ah. There was supposed to be a big special like DVD, not DVD. I, I'm so old. DVD VHS um, release, and it never. I don't think it ever came out. Uh, I'm trying to find out, but I won't waste too much time. But That's we'll, very interesting because you feel that would be like a, a reissue that they would do, like a Mr. Neff 30th anniversary Kafka re-edit. Mr. Yeah. Neff. I'm trying to open it up to everybody so we can I can see if it came out and I forgot and I never knew and now I'm talking like an idiot. But I think this is just a review from from Tiff. This is a review from Tiff. Unfortunately, it's gone the way of Topher Grace's Star Wars prequel edit. Look, I I don't really care about Star Wars Beyond. I saw them when I was a kid, or I mean, I still watch. You know, I've seen them. Um, but I, you know, I'll get. Topher Grace is somebody who I never really cared about. I never, I never watched the seventy. I didn't like the seventy show. Never cared about it. But the things I've seen him do, where like he's been part of it separately, like the whole that that what what was the eighties movie he made. Um, from tonight. Yeah, which also was again like a story idea of his. Like, I really enjoyed that, and I actually have to say, like, I think if it's something he produced, I'd be interested in seeing it. That sounds like an overdue rental. Yeah, it will take me home tonight. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I've never seen it, but I remember that it was just it was that age of film where some some movies every now and then just kind of got buried for no I, reason. It was one of those one of those early ones I did when I was you know I was starting out you know really doing uh, critic work for a while. I definitely saw that. That was like the era where streaming was starting to come into play, but originals weren't out yet. Cause you know, if that was made now, it would be a streaming original. Possible. 
Well, a studio know. would a studio would be like, yeah, ah, just, yeah. if it hits, we'll do it in the next one in the theaters, kids. But I think people I, probably thought he was just trying to ride the '70s show thing and doing like by doing like an '80s movie, even though I know that we. But it, it's not like that. It's not, and actually, it's actually very funny. Um, and I and I enjoyed it. And uh, they did they did a few things that Hot Tub Time Machine ended up doing later on that they did it first. And another wonderful connection that links into all of this that '80s show. Starred Glenn Howerton, yes. among others. Yes, it did. It's absolutely right. But but Glenn Howerton was not in Suture. Although I could only imagine, like you just do like a sunny up, do like a sunny episode of Suture where like Dennis and and I don't know. You... Well, they did the Gangs Runs Black. I you never saw that episode. I I, I forgot about it because, probably yeah. because I've I've watched I've watched up to. The last couple, I still need to watch the last couple seasons, but I did at one point, I think it was during the pandemic, like I just binged the whole show. And... Oh, I mean, I've I've watched that. I've watched every single season of that thing like more times than you should know. I love um, that show. But, I love uh, Always Sunny. Yeah, Gangsters Black is the first episode of season 12. Yeah, I'll have to go back. But yeah, that would, that just unhinged Glenn Howerton is always good. Just as full force Dennis Haysbert is always good. Oh wow, do I want that man to come back for the thirteenth floor? Because you see, he, you saw he was just ready. Yeah, he was yeah, ready. Well, we'll we'll do that. But before we do that, everybody should go make sure you check out Flaming Hot when it premieres on Hulu on uh, June 9th, this Friday. Uh, and then go to Tubi, watch Suture, come back to us, let us know what you think. But of course, to find to talk to us, to find us, to let us know, they need to know to be redundant where to find us so mike how can they find how can everybody find us if they don't know how to find us well when we're not busy trying to figure out whether i look like matthew or whether matthew looks like me uh we're discernible enough folks it's very discernible spoiler alert but anyway uh when we aren't ruining perfectly good segues uh you can find us on tiktok and instagram at over to rental show on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, and on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. But if you want to email us suggestions, love letters, notes on how Oaken Dennis Haysbert's voices and your favorite unexpected role of his, uh, that does also include the voice of Zipper in Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, uh, you can email us at OverdueRentals at gmail.com. I'm not even kidding. He's the voice of Zipper because the whole gag is like, Oh, he was a this mute character in the original show, but in real life, he's like. Oh, you're talking about the new thing. Oh, oh yes, okay, okay. The, the Disney Plus movie. Yeah, okay. God, sorry, I, I lost there for a second. Which might qualify as an overdue rental if Disney Plus keeps it on the site. I thought I thought we were doing a, a Tackleberry joke because yes, everybody, David Graff, who plays Tackleberry from the the uh, Police Academy movies, is also in Suture. Which is also he plays a, a just small like derailment here. He plays a wonderful role in this, and it's just. I saw him and I knew it was Tackleberry, but again, performance was so great. Just it overrides that and it's yeah. not distracting. No. Which uh, is another- As I distracted Mike, undistract, here we go. <laughs> yes, but while he's distracting me, I'm going to distract the rest of you to say that if you want to distract yourself with other episodes of Overdue Rentals as we're climbing into the mid seventies here, uh, you can find all of our back catalog on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, podcasts by Spotify, which used to be Anchor. Uh, basically, wherever you ethically source your podcasts, you can find us. And there's other great black and white films we've discussed, like uh, The Eyes of My Mother. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another really good black and white that we've got in there. Mm. Uh, basically, whatever tastes you have, you can 
probably find an episode for it. And if not, that's another reason to email us. But it's also a good reason to rate, review, and subscribe. If there is a comment field, leave a comment. If Even if you just want to yell at us, like, do Major League or do this movie, you know, go right ahead. We're open to suggestions because the whole point of Overdue Rentals is this is the place that we gather to shine lights on movies that aren't as big or should have been bigger than they used to be. Or were that big, but not anymore. Well, yeah, but yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I mean, some could even say you could do an Armageddon episode technically because that was huge back then. And it's- I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that one. I wouldn't disagree with that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, see, now, now if I said something like uh, Bad Boys, of course, that's yes. still big. There's still sequels. Because Michael Bay, technically you wouldn't think of Michael Bay as an overdue rentals person, but I would say The Rock is mid-level, more towards more towards the popular end. Well, it's hitting it's hitting the YouTube there. reactors now. The Rock is hitting the YouTube reactors just about now. Yeah, so then it's definitely like mid to high, but Armageddon is still, you know, it was a it was a pff, Armageddon episode to come, folks. We just need to find the right. Maybe. maybe we could get jj abrams to come on and talk about his his time writing on the film but anyway that's uh that again this little diversion here is the beauty of overdue rentals that you can find out there in the internet and i don't think you'll be able to mistake us for another podcast but until we meet you all again next time friends family dear listeners we're just going to sign off with a solemn fuck you joe boo i'll do it myself <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>